You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Let's get into today's episode. Yo, today on the show, we only got one sponsor and it's the Adobe Wireframe podcast, who's also the partner in making this episode. I had the chance to sit down and chat with Koi Venn, designer Koi Venn. He, he's been running his blog, Subtraction.com, since the year 2000. He was a design director at the New York Times. He now works for Adobe. Some really inspiring talks online, and I was pumped to sit down with such a big design thinker and chat design principles and design tools because although I'm an illustrator, my degree, my bachelor's degree says graphic design on it because that's where I got my training. And I feel like the left brain kind of linear approach to creativity that you get in design influenced everything. And it really balanced out my naturally dominant right brain creativity, the kind of traditional creativity. And that the marriage of these two I really think have been kind of the secret sauce for me as I've approached all these different arenas of creativity. And I sit down and chat with Koi and we pull out some design tools that you can use. And actually some of the things that came out in this talk, I've repeated like 15 times since because they're just so juicy, you're gonna like it. And then I'm gonna chat with a few other folks where the whole wireframe team's gonna come in and we're gonna use these tools in real time As a case study, we're going to use this design approach to designing a podcast. Yeah, we're talking about designing a podcast, but you're going to be able to take all those tools and apply them to whatever your creative endeavor is. This episode is uh, packed full with juicy, juicy creativeness, and and I can't wait for you to hear it. So I better shut up. Here's my chat with the wireframe host and design person (laughs) designer had a total pleasure chatting with this man here he is koi vin okay uh hey koi i'm super stoked to chat i'm really glad that uh we could find some time to do this i wanted to start with a question that you invented uh, and just turn the tables on you. You're a designer. And for the non-designers in our audience, because we have all kinds of creatives listening, sure. can you explain what a designer is as if you were talking to your mom? Oh, my God. That's the hardest question. <laughs> and and the reason is is because designers tackle all different kinds of problems, everything from designing a chair to designing a completely virtual digital experience. I mean, designers essentially solve problems and in the process that you try to adapt raw technology so that it suits human needs. That's probably the most concise way I can put it right now. That's really good. I, I, that's, a, that's a great de- definition, as good as any of I've, that I have heard. Uh, and it's a really good segue to my first real question, which is, I know a lot of illustrators and I know a lot of designers and the illustrators I know are super good at making pictures and mm-hmm. the designers I know are often good at making pictures too, but 
but they're also infuriatingly good at making and giving presentations, <laughs> telling stories, planning vacations, and even making podcasts. Uh, and my question is basically just what's going on there? What, why, why are designers... Uh, why do they find it so easy to kind of be medium uh, chameleons? Yeah, well, I, I'll say first that I know a number of illustrators who are really good at all of the things that you mentioned. That not is all true. of them, it's true, but there are a number of them out there. So not to dismiss their presentation and you know other you know outward-facing abilities out of hand, but. It probably is also true that more designers than illustrators are able to do those things, are able to take their ideas and walk into a boardroom or sit down with an engineer or you know, some other kind of you know, technical implementation team and really explain in simple terms what they're trying to achieve. And I think the reason is, is that designers are, by necessity, problem solvers. They need to solve for laying out a book or an interface and they also need to solve for getting somebody to buy into their idea. And you, if you're a successful designer, you kind of do whatever you need to do in order to solve these various problems that sort of you know come barreling at you at different stages of a project. And I think that adaptability that you know, that uh, understanding that you can't just do the one thing, you have to do a whole different series of things in order to realize your vision. I think that's what makes designers so adaptable for, for these different kinds of activities. Yeah, I completely agree. And it kind of reminds me of that famous uh, Massimo Vignelli quote, if you can design one thing, you can design everything. And it, it occurred yeah. to me that maybe like where illustration, it's so, there's such a focus on the medium uh, design feels like it has a lot more to do with how you approach a medium. Yes. Yeah, I think that's really true. I think what a designer brings to any project that is truly indispensable, it's the most valuable thing, is just the ability to break down a big problem into s several smaller problems and then tackle each one in a thoughtful way that keeps a desired end goal in mind usually for a real customer, real user, real person on the other end. So it's just taking big problems, breaking them down, and developing solutions that work for real people. Yeah. Uh, so just to give a little context, uh, in my first year of college, I studied illustration, but then I moved to design. And I think looking back, it had something to do with the freedom of how designers were able to answer problems. Um, yeah. Whereas in illustration, there was just a lot of focus on observational drawing, which I ended up having to go back and do. Um, <laughs> uh, but I thought, you know, I tried to get out of it. Um, but I feel like this time uh, studying the practice of being a designer really helped my illustration pro practice mm -hmm. because I feel like, you know, with some creative mediums like comedy, the objective is really obvious, like make people laugh. And mm -hmm. it really focuses the craft and it makes it easier to improve. You can, you know, you know whether you're hitting the target or not. But as I approached illustration, there was a time like early in my career, I was like, I want to be a good illustrator. And then I, mm -hmm. but then I had to be like, but what is good illustration? Like, what, am, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And I think even asking that question uh, was some, you know, some carryover from time learning in a design setting. And I wondered if, 
you know, I really want, was excited to have you on the show because I want to help the creatives, whether, you know, we have musicians, writers, we have all kinds of people listening to this show and I want to help mm. them up, just have the tool of the tool, some of the tools of being a designer as they approach their creative process. They don't always have to approach things this way, but I've, I've found that yeah. um, it can be really helpful. And I wondered if you could just unpack some of the power behind defining the problem, which is kind of a core first step in the design process and any other pieces of the design process that are kind of go-tos for you. Yeah. So it's actually funny that you describe your evolution in that way, because that was also my story. Like I went to art school thinking that I was going to be a painter, maybe an illustrator. And as I got more interested in illustration, I realized that a lot of the problems that I was interested in and also a lot of the problems that made illustrators successful were design oriented. They were about solving a larger problem than just rendering a pictorial solution to, you know, a, uh, an editorial story or an advertising campaign or something. Yeah. It really helped to be able to think like a designer. And I think it's actually been sort of um, evident to me for a long time now that being able to think like a designer can help you in maybe not everything in life, but a lot of things beyond the you know visual arts, the quote-unquote creative arts. Um, being a designer is really just about what I said earlier. It's like taking a big problem, breaking it down, and thinking about the solution through the lens of how is it going to benefit a real person. So you basically put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's going to be using the thing that you're trying to design, the solution that you're trying to design, whether it's a an illustration or a an interface for a mobile app or a piece of music or you know some other creative endeavor. You're always thinking about what you've been tasked with through the eyes of a real person who may or likely will not have the same kind of technical acumen or you know facility with a subject matter or expertise that you do and i think that ability to you know we use the word empathy a lot that ability to empathize with who's going to use the the solution is i think really the the crux of the most valuable tool that designers have. It's, it's, it really helps you adapt to any situation. And that's why you have this whole field of, you know, quote unquote, design thinking that has become really popular in the business world because I think a lot of people in strategy and marketing uh, have come to realize that being able to think, um, to put yourself in the shoe of a customer um, in a really thoughtful, methodical way is a huge benefit to the way they approach their business, the way they strategize their product roadmaps, the way they structure their their organizations. And I just think it's something that has proven useful again and again and again to me over time. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful that I had the, the um, opportunity to, to study it and to acquire the skills. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I don't know anything about philosophy, but I've started diving in <laughs> in, the, in the podcasting realm as this, uh, you know, amateur philosopher. Um, <laughs> and uh, one thing I noticed is this idea that art is about detaching yourself from the audience and, and that you really should completely ignore the audience or the customer to make true art. I didn't really realize uh, until diving in that this is actually, this came from a few specific uh, modern philosophers and actually 
there's a bunch of different opinions on how to mm. approach art. And it's not, but I do feel like that one's the most pervasive in modern creative culture. And in our podcast, I'm usually trying to at least get people to set that type of cliched thinking down for a minute. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think it, there's a good like ebb and flow. Sometimes you can forget about your audience, but sometimes you need to get deep totally. into the empathy of what they're feeling. And I think you see that with comics really well um, as they kind of feed off the audience. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious what kind of tools for how to find that empathy you've developed over time throughout your history as a designer. What does it look like to, are there any practical things that, you know, if a musician could do or uh, an illustrator could do to try to put themselves in the shoes of the person who's going to ultimately be enjoying this creative work? Yeah, I think the simple answer is research. Research can be along a whole spectrum of things. So you can have very simple low-tech, so to speak, research, where you're just asking people what they're thinking when they're using a given product or given an experience that you want to create a similar solution to. Just talking to real people, yeah. talking to a number of them, um, and bringing that kind of feedback into your creative decision-making process is just enormously helpful. Um, and if you, if you never go beyond that simple level of research, you're still you know, ahead of the game. Um, I think research can scale up to all kinds of highly professional, really uh, scientific uh, approaches to understanding large swaths of users. You can also look at the analytics or the, the traffic patterns, the actual numbers that are generated from the products that you're, you're designing for. You can look into the revenue. You can look into any, any manner of um, or any aspect of, of the problem. And it's, again, just about thinking about what is that problem that you're trying to solve? How do you break it down? How do you look at it from all different kinds of angles? And how do you do the research that's necessary to help you understand the problem itself better before you're off to the races and creating a solution, designing something that maybe satisfies your own personal itch, but isn't actually what people are looking for in a solution? Yeah, that makes tons of sense. And I it kind of comes to mind... Um, something that's been really helpful for me in making this podcast is just even surveys of my kind of, uh, uh, you know, biggest listeners and say, you know, which which headlines grabbed you of the titles of the episodes? Mm -hmm. Why did you listen to the ones that you listened to? What did you love about the ones that you listened to? How did you find oh. this podcast? And it kind of gets me thinking about how that could look in terms of, you know, if you're an editorial illustrator, I think a lot about what is the purpose of that picture? And yeah, I do think you'd have to get pretty creative to do research on how effective your illustration is, but it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Right. I mean, even taking the example of an illustration, you could talk to not just the people who are viewing the final illustration. You could talk to the art directors that you're working with to you know, to um, develop the illustrations in the first place, the, the ones that are that you're talking to initially, and understanding what they're looking for in the process of creating an illustration, and what they're looking for in terms of illustrations that perform well or meet their their criteria that are the most helpful to them in solving their problems. I mean, that's a different kind of research, but it's still better understanding your problem. Um, so there's a you know endless number of ways that you could look at it in order to better inform your decision-making process. 
Yeah. Uh, another way to kind of use this uh, tool belt of design in your creative practice is approaching your career as a design project. Do you ever think of your career in that way? That's a good question. I think that <laughs> I do. I think that I look at the bigger patterns, if you will, in my career, how long I stay at companies, what kinds of problems I saw, I like to solve, what kinds of groups I like to work with. And I try to tweak the circumstances to produce the results where I think I can make the most worthwhile contribution, where I can be most satisfied. Um, uh, and then, I, you know, of course, as I, I get older, I think about the different stages of a career and what's coming up next and really trying to to line up you know, the, the next stage in a uh, you know, productive way. So, yeah, I think yeah so. and, I mean, and I think everybody's, uh, the first problem everybody wants to solve in their career is make enough money to, to yeah. survive and a little bit, hopefully a little bit better than that. And if you're, uh, you're lucky, you get to solve other problems with your, your career. Uh, you've had a phenomenal career from what I can see on the outside. Oh, uh, what, what, are, what is the next problem that you think you'd like to explore in terms of designing your career? What's the piece that's still kind of, um, you know, unsolved? Yeah. yeah, that's a terrific question. I think overall what I've been working at in the time that I've been at, at Adobe, which is a bit more than five years now, but what I've been thinking about for longer um, and what I think I'll continue to be thinking about is – how to make design more relevant to more people. So at Adobe, we create, amongst other things, a ton of creative tools, tools for um, illustrators, for photographers, and for designers. I happen to work on Adobe XD, which is for UX UI designers. And this is really about empowering those designers to produce better work, whether it's mobile apps or websites or voice experiences, like for Alexa and Google Home and so forth. But it's also really about helping them grow as designers and helping the design profession grow and become more relevant, more understood by the world at large um, and help design, therefore, realize more of its potential. And I think a big part of that challenge is not just making terrific tools, but also helping people to understand what design is. So you started off this whole conversation with, I think, the perfect question, which is like, how do you define design? And I think that's a really hard question to answer mm. for too many people, even for designers. And I think part of it is we, we're not accustomed to hearing stories about how design works. The culture at large hasn't absorbed the the way design works, the vocabulary of designers, the overall uh, you know, mindset of designers. We don't have you know tons of great movies and TV shows about designers. We don't have you know lots of popular you know coverage of designers and general interest publications and websites. And so, if we can help resolve that by telling better stories, I think that's going to be a big win. And this is actually why a few years ago at Adobe we started Wireframe, the podcast that I host with the goal of telling stories about design in a really accessible, fun, and yet really engaging, informative way that sheds a lot of light on the design process and the way designers think. And um, so I think, long story short, 
that is the arc of my career is really trying to help unlock that potential by helping more people understand the relevance of design. Uh, that's a excellent answer. And also the podcast is fantastic. It's very well designed. Thanks. It's very top notch. Uh, I'm very, uh, into it. And I always feel like I leave with actionable stuff or different ways of thinking, uh, which I really appreciate. And I also love, there's kind of a meta thing. Maybe, maybe I'm just not quick enough to pick up on it, but there's a, maybe you're just like <laughs> using this all the way through and I'm just hitting, it's just hitting me now, but even defining what design is, is a, is a form of defining the problem. And I think that mm-hmm. there's a cool takeaway of anybody have getting to define what is your practice, be it musician, you know, if you're a pop musician or if you're an editorial illustrator or you're, uh, you know, a filmmaker, what is the definition of what you do? And I heard this recently, just as a little aside, um, I heard, uh, there's a story expert, Brian McDonald, that, uh, I'm just a huge fan of, and he actually, that's one of the things he was obsessed with was how do you define what is a story? Because he was so mm. unsatisfied by Webster's definition, which was a series of events. And he was like, no, if you tell someone a series of events and there's no conclusion, they will be like, why are you telling me this? This isn't a story. And so he added his own thing. And then I've heard other story experts build on that, like Ira Glass He's, his definition might be a series of events that ends not just in a conclusion, but in a surprise. Because yeah. when they're making This American Life, the only ones they keep are ones that are surprises. And so that's a really cool, uh, it sounds simple, but I guarantee anybody that's listening, trying, trying to define what it is, what's the purpose of what you do, is a way more vast and interesting question um, than, or, or harder to answer than it maybe appears to be. I think that's totally right. I, I mean, you give this example of people trying to define the concept of a story. And even there, you see that there's so much room for interpretation. And you may never yes. arrive at the final, quote unquote, final answer for what is a story. But you compare the awareness of, what, of stories in the general public. Like everybody has some conception of what a story is. Yeah. They have some conception of what of what a storyteller does. You compare that to the field of design, and vanishingly few people, by comparison, really understand what design is, what a designer does. And so, it's to me that says, you know, yeah, we may never get to the point of wide, you know, a general awareness the way. You know, storytellers have, but mm. designers have an opportunity and I think also a responsibility to try and define what we do, how we do it, not just for ourselves, we'll benefit from it for sure, but also for the general public so that they understand the value that we bring so that they can benefit from it and so that we can benefit from it too. I think it's, um, it's a win-win if we can do this. It's, it's not easy, but there's tremendous upside. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Uh, well, I really appreciate those uh, really um, insightful answers, and it got me thinking about my own creative practice in a different way, and I want to kind of uh, take some of these tools back and and take it to the next level. Uh, we also have Pippa and Dom here from the Wireframe Podcast. I wondered if they could come and join us. I have kind of a design exercise for us to do in real time. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I wasn't told there would be homework. 
<laughs> <laughs> no, this is more like a pop quiz, Don. Okay, this is now. Oh gosh, this is happening. Great, e even worse. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> uh, all right. So, I I love the podcast. I love how it approaches you know everything from data visualization to COVID nineteen as you know design questions or problems, and I and I want to encourage my listeners to embrace some of the design tools because I actually think not only are they super effective, they're at, I feel like they're, it's almost a, a different side of the brain approach to creativity that I feel like there's a whole brain kind of approach that is just super helpful. Um, and so I thought we could take some of the stuff we were just talking about and apply it to what all of you design, which is a podcast. Uh, so Let's just do a little case study and say, uh, what is the problem that your podcast, Adobe Wireframe, is trying to solve? And how have you tried to do it? Because, you know, as all designers know, it's usually trial and error. Great question. Dom, do you want to tackle that one first? Um, I'll give a, a hint from my perspective, but I think mm. Koi has the Genesis story. Mm. So we'll Ooh. definitely leave room for him. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but go ahead. Actually, I, I think you've you've got a handle on it. I think I think the problem we're trying to solve here is a lot of what you were just talking about, which is the undefinability. And uh, I guess we're also inventing words. The inability to define <laughs> the difficulty in defining design is an interesting challenge, particularly when you bring storytellers to the table who aren't designers, right? Or at least. Mm don't define themselves as capital D designers. I think in the process of making Wireframe, maybe we've discovered that we have more of a design thinking brain than we ever thought about. So really, I think what's working about Wireframe and the challenges that we face the episode is is like twinning Koi's design brain, mm. right, and passion for turning design content into storytelling to our storytelling brains looking for an understanding of design, right? And that that alchemy leads us into these narrative tracks of telling great stories that sort of trick you into understanding design in a way that you hadn't maybe considered before or hadn't realized made a whole lot of sense once it plays out. Koi, can you uh, grade me on that answer? <laughs> a plus. I thought it was pretty fantastic. What did you say, Koi? Sorry. A plus. A plus. I, 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 I think that's right. We're trying to take this design subject matter and present it with these storytelling tools that you know, Dom and Pippa are so, you know, so talented in. Uh, it's in order to present a fairly obscure subject matter to the widest possible audience, people who are who don't know anything about design, people who are design curious, and people who are professional designers and try to make it entertaining to all of those people so that they can see the value of design, understand it a little bit better, and you know, look for it in their everyday lives more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think also going back to the definition of story, I think one thing you hit on that you know, I hear a lot in storytelling structure and, and philosophy is this idea of like uh, the sugar with the medicine and the story <laughs> is really an ability to, you know, make medicine uh, palatable. And I feel like 
you all do a really good job with that because I never, I never leave listening to that podcast thinking, I just learned something about design, (laughs) (laughs) but I do. But, but if I stop and think back, I can always, uh, extrapolate something, uh, about that approach to problem solving that I didn't have before. And that's a huge success. Um, Pippa, did you want to add anything to that? I think I, I think the guys covered it pretty well. I, I love this idea about trying to find a definition for design because I think that's actually something that was a challenge about making the show itself. But when you look back on the season, we've talked to so many niche design fields, but really found what is sort of universal about each one of them. So I feel like I'm I'm getting a more I'm getting a better idea of what design is and Koi I think the process of making this has achieved your goal of making more design making design more relevant at least to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I think one of the things that we find occasionally is you guys correct me or, or feel free to add occasionally we will tell a story about design and it's fairly niche and then we actually get sort of buried in that niche a bit too mm. much. And then we forget, oh, yeah, this is actually meant to be accessible to, to any listener of any expertise level. Um, and that's one of the, I think, hardest things about telling design stories is, you know, the, the, the expertise or the subject matter just by nature wants to get more and more nerdy, more and more in the details, you know. <laughs> oh, my and, gosh, um, yes. And, and we have to always try to rein that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's what, what's the detail that colors the story in a great way, and what's the detail that just takes us off track, and right. we've forgotten about it because the detail is so interesting that we sort of lost the big picture sometimes. Yeah, and what's the part that just about anybody listening, designer or no, would come away with a lesson they could apply to their own creative practice, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, over the course of the four seasons that we've done, we've thrown away lots of story ideas, lots of early stage drafts, late stage drafts. We've even thrown away whole episodes where, when we realized too late that, well, <laughs> this is really only going to be interesting to about 18 people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, uh, speaking of surprises and stories and, and uh, design tools and all that kind of stuff, is there a, an idea or a surprise or a story from your time making this show that stands out more than others? Is there one that you're like, that idea from that episode it just has stuck with me? Ooh, well, <laughs> I'll say that something that happens to me pretty frequently is that... So, so our process is that um, at the beginning of each season, the producers, Dom and Pippa, they'll go away and come up with a whole bunch of ideas for potential episodes and essentially come back and we'll review we'll review their pitches for mm. different episodes. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I often think, well, yes, that's an interesting story, but what's special or current about it? Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm sometimes skeptical that we've actually got something that just feels really urgent or, you know, that's going to connect with an audience, you know, you know, today when we're delivering the episode. Right. Um, but there have been plenty of occasions where I've been like flat out wrong. And there was one, actually, this is before you guys were on the show, but I, I talk about it a lot, where we um, we had a pitch to do an episode about dating apps. 
which you know, I've been married for a number of years, and so I didn't really see that it was super interesting, and was <laughs> very skeptical about it, and was like, "That's what's that's really not. Is it really about design, or is it really just about like you know, you know, the the, the technology of matching people up, and then maybe marketing the app?" And um, by the time that episode was finished, I was completely turned around. I realized, wow, dating apps really are all about design, and it's really the design it differentiates you know a mm, you know yeah. a hinge from a tinder or something like that it's all about the user experience and i just had never realized that i had never thought about that and that was a, a real revelation to me that is very fascinating i think you're absolutely right i'm a, i've been married for 13 years so i don't know much firsthand but i have watched my uh, siblings and a few of my friends dive into the the diabolical and <laughs> exciting world of <laughs> dating apps and it is so interesting that the kind of intellectual property or the 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 secret sauce of what makes an a dating app work and catch on and and yeah. and have its own particular flavor has everything to do with the user experience and that's it's a lot of uh yeah I don't know that's a lot of power and and it kind of really hints at the value of design totally yes that's fascinating uh, okay, so in the spirit of legendary designer Dieter Rams uh, and his <laughs> 10 principles of, uh, <laughs> I like we just went right from dating apps to Dieter Rams. That could, that maybe that's the title. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and his, he, he had these uh, 10 principles of good design. They're, they're, yeah. they're probably infamous in the design world, but they're probably not super well known outside of it. Uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I like the idea of just trying to say what is good in this field. And I wondered if we could humbly kind of come up with three principles of good podcasting, maybe one from each of you as you're going to approach an episode. What's something that you're like, we got to bake this thing into it for it to be a success. What is a good podcast? Hmm. That's a good wow. question. It's a delightful question. You kind of alluded to it before, but the first thing that comes to mind for me is surprise. I hmm. think uh, as podcast as an avid podcast listener myself i think we look for stories that are gonna surprise us open up doors uh to the world around us in ways that we didn't expect and i think that's kind of what we look for in each episode right what's gonna surprise someone or bring someone more deeply into the design of the world around them yeah yeah and i would add to that that the to not underestimate or not to understate the power of making sure your story is actually a journey Right, that mm -hmm. every step, every beat, builds into the next one. Um, the The South Park Boys was it Trey and Matt. They did a talk a few years ago, I think, that always stays with me. And they talk about acts, like story acts, right? And that the next act, the next beat, should answer a therefore or a but sort of question, not an and. If you're just anding and anding and anding, you're just stacking and stacking stuff together like mm -hmm. Jenga blocks. Mm -hmm. And Jenga's fun, but it's just Jenga, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if there's no the reason, yeah. <laughs> if there's no reason to go to the next thing, then you're kind of losing the thread of a story, and those are uh, you're offering off ramps for your listener. Mm -hmm. And so that's always a narrative tension to try and keep in mind and resolve as you go from beat to beat. If you're telling a story that starts in one place and inevitably ends somewhere completely different that to Pippa's point is ultimately surprising. Yeah, yeah I, I think, love that. 
I think those are two great principles. I mean, what I would add is we always try to be sure that we're telling a story from the experience of the designer. Hmm. Um, yeah. Because when you're telling a story about like dating apps, for instance, it's actually really easy to get sidetracked by telling the story of the founder of the dating app or you know, telling the perspective of the marketer or, or whomever. But for us, what we found is if we are always rooting our stories in what the designer was thinking, what they were weighing, what, what you know, dead ends that they hit, what revelations that they have, what was their overall journey, then that is what makes the story unique to Wireframe and feel really resonant with the subject matter that we've chosen. Mm -hmm. And along with that comes like the, there's just a tremendous amount of, of homework and, um, and, you know, heavy lifting that Dom and Pippa do in terms of researching these stories and calling people and interviewing them and, you know, tracking down leads or, you know, you know, searching all over the internet to find (laughs) just the right voices and bringing them into, um, well, not into the studio these days, <laughs> online. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's really just about putting the designer at the center of the stories that we tell. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that kind of comes full circle, too. It feels like uh, acknowledging and empathizing with who's the person listening to this, too. Right, uh, right. Uh, I'm going to add my fourth in there, but it's also just kind of a springboard because I'm curious to hear what <laughs> how you all respond to this. Uh, I'll add my, um, (laughs) my fourth principle of good podcasting. And I think I'm going to say that it can't be too good. And uh, (laughs) I'll explain explain what that means. (laughs) Uh, I just think, you know, what's interesting about a podcast and obviously I'm kidding because I want to make every episode as good as I can. And I know all of you feel exactly the same. But I also, one thing that uh, excites me about podcasting, it's such a new medium and we consume it in a different way. Hmm. We consume it in a way that we don't consume audiobooks. And what I mean by it can't be too good is, you know, one of the reasons why I think podcasts work so well is there's something about the authenticity of, um, you know, not just being uh, extremely concise information presented in the most straightforward way, like a book is supposed to. Uh, you know, if you, if you tried to listen to an audio book while you're mowing the grass or washing the dishes, it's not always as much of a enjoyable experience as listening to a podcast. Um, so yeah, so one of my principles is not to forget that there's some other secret sauce that's not just like, uh, you know, quality information, <laughs> delivered in the most concise way possible. Right. Um, how do you, how, before I go any further, how do you respond to that principle? You know, the way I'm interpreting what you're saying there is uh, how human a podcast is, right? Yes. The humanity and the intimacy of the medium is what makes it sing, is what makes it work so well. You know, um, I even think about. Koi, if, jump on this if you want. Like this, le- this latest season, what we've done differently this season because we're always tooling with the show and tooling with the format, is we decided, you know, let's have all three of us in every episode talking about everything all the time, <laughs> and just sound in an engaging way to have three people having a 
person-to-person conversation that, yes, there's some script work that we have to read and stuff, but we just try to... It, this sounds very reductive, but we just try to talk like people. We just try to talk like normal people to keep that humanity in the show, to keep that intimacy, regardless of how much design work goes into the show. Like, it's heavily sound designed, mm-hmm. right? It's heavily thought through. Like, as Koi said, heavily researched. There's a ton of work that goes into it. But at the end of the day, it just has to sound like people talking to people about people. Yeah. I completely agree. And you, you defined that principle so much better than I did. (laughs) I like the idea of it, you know, in the way that humans are imperfect, there's some, there's something better than perfect in that. And I do feel like podcasting that is good. Podcasting is first and foremost, uh, human. So this was, uh, an incredible conversation and I uh, have a bunch of stuff that I want to kind of wrestle with in my own practice, but I feel like all good podcasts need to end with some profound (laughs) statement followed by a nice (laughs) break of music, right? So any, any of you, each one, whatever you want to do, can you just end it with some profound design wisdom that we can play off to? What an easy question to answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Save the best for last. I'd say what we're trying to do with the show is help people realize that really design is everywhere and it affects your life already, even if you're not aware of it, even if you're not conscious to it. And the more you understand it, the better you understand it, the better you will be at navigating the the modern world, I think. It's an essential tool and help it can help everybody um you know, live a better life i completely agree and that was phenomenal <laughs> and when my <laughs> my podcast editor puts that swelling music in you're gonna sound <laughs> like uh, a, a, a design genius uh, which you are podcasts. and i hey i really appreciate all of you taking time um that this was th- this was very very uh educational i really appreciate it I don't, know, so I, don't know, so much. I don't know if this is going to fit anywhere or if you're going to be editing it in or not. Feel free to cut it out. I just I want to plug a little bit of, of the show in a different way, if that's okay. Yeah, yes, please do. It, another principle that I think is important to, 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 to me personally when I'm making podcasts is to like not forget to have fun, mm-hmm. right? If you're not having fun making an episode, then your listener's not going to have fun either. It's, right. you know, there are, there are like... We, 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 we tackle some some like heady topics sometimes, right? We, we did an episode on designings, designers supporting the racial justice movement. It's an important episode and there's some there's some heaviness to it, but uh, it was a joy to make that episode, right? And so that's always valuable to me. At the other end of the spectrum, like the, the season finale of this particular season is in our own way, it's a little bit it's a little bit bonkers and like, <laughs> like it's, we went crazy on this one and decided to just sort of push the creativity angle of the show to like an, an abstract, almost absurd degree just to see what it would feel like. And we had a lot of fun making that one. This is an episode where, uh, we rant on how, why comic sans is a typeface that continues to exist and endure for some reason. And <laughs> we, 
we in we like we go to a party. We go to a fake invented party, an audio party basically, where everyone at the party is a font, and we meet real people at this crazy party, and <laughs> it's just. To some extent, it's weird for the sake of weird, but there's such a fun design story hiding in there that um, I wanted to mention it because it, it just brought me a bunch of joy, and it was a big, big uh, capital R reminder that if you're not having fun making an episode, then think about what is it that's wrong with this episode because there's probably something wrong with the episode. Yeah. I think Dom is totally right. That episode is bonkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will also say he's also right because like our podcast is not meant to be, you know, like um, course material for, you know, some sort of graduate degree in design. It's meant to be something you listen to in your free time because you enjoy it. And so it needs to be fun. And so we try to have a lot of fun and actually recording the episodes is like some of the funnest work I do all week and you know, I hope that that comes through um, when people are listening to it because um, we're we're trying to make it we're trying to make design as fun as it can be mm-hmm. yeah and Pippa you're you're new to the team this year yeah. so in, in many ways you're even more an advocate for the the listener who may not have <laughs> you know the the same design mind as Koi does for instance so what journey have you been on <laughs> if, if that's a fair question I feel like one lesson I've taken away from this is that the design world is very small and everyone knows each other in all the different fields we've covered, <laughs> which has been a total pleasure. I feel like each episode I've gotten to really investigate and kind of fall in love with these different disciplines, like from branding to UX to, you know, packaging design or typography. And I think the biggest lesson I've taken away is like, a human made this. This typeface you're using, a human made it. The packaging that your box came in the mail, a human made it. And I think the show really advocates for us to remember that there's the human touches all around us. And that's been a really beautiful part of the process is just having a much deeper experience of, of the world because of making the show, I think. So all of these answers are phenomenal. But now we've got a really big competition for who's going to end with the profound statement. Definitely coy. We've, <laughs> we've got, if you're not having fun in your process, then something's wrong. Definitely agree. It's not very fun to, to consume creativity that was clearly just an uphill battle to get through. Like, I feel like that's not a good time. But then the human touch is all around us. I think Pippa... I think that's you. I think you got to close it out. That's it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Steep competition. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Thanks, everybody. And uh, and everybody go check out the Wireframe podcast. You will have some fun. And I'm uh, looking forward to hearing this crazy Comic Sans episode, Mm -hmm. too. (laughs) Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Okay, so that's a little taste of what you get from the Wireframe podcast. Uh, I've been diving into it. I really loved the episode on data visualization. You know, we get approached all the time with podcasters uh, wanting to collaborate or or sponsor the show. And, you know, it's not always a good fit, but diving into their show, they approach creative thinking in such a fresh way that is very you know, entertaining the sugar with the medicine kind of thing. So yeah, go check it out. Adobe Wireframe, 
I think the next one I'll check out is does Burger King's new logo make you nostalgic? I love Burger King's new logo. I'm so glad that they kind of uh, went retro with it. Also, because it's just absolutely ridiculous, we decided to include uh, just a little bit of that episode that we were talking about um, with the <laughs> with the, the fonts as people at a party. So we're going to play a little bit of that before we close it out. Hope you love this episode. Hope you go love and check out Wireframe as well. I know everybody's looking for, is always looking for new creative podcasts to consume. So that's a good one. Thanks Adobe. Thanks Wireframe. Thanks Koi and team. Uh, loved having a chat with you. Here's a little taste of um, their season finale. Dominic, what is happening right now? Coy, we're at a font party. What? what? Party? A font party, Pippa. It's a party where all the guests here are typefaces. They're fonts. Awesome, I think. <laughs> so all fonts, they have personalities, right? And what better way to see those personalities come to life than to go to a font party? Okay, so who's here? Okay, so let's see. So over uh, in the kitchen, uh, the one with the bow tie and the suspenders, that, of course, is Times New Roman. Hello. Ahoy! How good of you all to drop by. I'll be sure to tell everyone about you in a conventional but authoritative way. Ah, uh, yes. The classic, reliable, trustworthy font. I remember him from my high school essays. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us do. And, oh, look out. Over there, uh, by the beer keg, of course. I'm not going to believe uh, this. He's loud, and he's wearing cargo shorts. Uh, it's impact. So he says to him, buddy, with a face like that, you're everyone's type. <laughs> you can't miss him, can you? Mm-mm. You really, really can't. Unlike, uh, say, Ariel over there. She's sitting on the floor by the couch, the one all dressed in flowy white. Do not get cornered by Ariel. She will go on and on. Yeah, you don't (laughs) notice her at first, but then all of a sudden she's in your face. Very true. Anyway, the the whole point of all this is... (gasps) Oh, no. What? What? Who is it? Just the worst font ever. (laughs) hey think you could throw a party without your old pal Comic Sans swinging by, did ya? It's Comic Sans, the bot so many of us love to hate. Yeah, and of course he shows up here. Of course. Who wants jello shots? He really is kind of a doofus, isn't he? He really is. Listen, let's just, you know, let's step outside for a second. The thing that bugs me about Comic Sans, it's his personality. There's too much of it, and it crowds out all the other perfectly good fonts. So he steals the spotlight all the time. Uh Well, I mean, he's been around for decades. A lot of people know him. Yeah, and he keeps showing up everywhere. I mean, whether he's welcome or not. Yes. I mean, a whole bunch of people groaned when they realized that they could change the captions on Disney Plus to Comic Sans. Yeah, that's right. And haters also rolled their eyes when Instagram stories rolled out a font last year that looks suspiciously like Comic Sans. I mean, it's not even officially the right typeface, but it still got under a lot of people's skin. Yeah, and I'm one of those people. So, so, so look, <laughs> here's what we're going to do, all right? We're going to find out why people still are using this font for some reason. Yeah. Then we're going to learn what we can about how typography is evolving beyond it. 
And after that, we'll see if we can find the next generation of type designers. You know, people who are creating a future that hopefully doesn't include Comic Sans. <laughs> All right. And we're going to go back to this font party, right? Yes, please. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. Now, who wants to watch me throw this keg out the window? Design. Creativity. Wireframe. A podcast from Adobe. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you never miss an episode. Sign up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll receive an email each week with an, when the new episode drops. Plus, you'll get instant access to our back catalog of episodes number one to 199. Uh you know, I get a lot of questions like, where are the first episodes? That's where they are. Go sign up to the newsletter. You can get access to those as well. Massive thanks to Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our creative pep talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing the show so beautifully. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Hey, y'all, real quick, I have a quick little favor to ask of you. You may or may not know that 2023 was a bit of a rough time in the world of podcasting, and we didn't have hardly any sponsors last year. And what that means is that most episodes we made last year actually cost us money to create and were a net loss. And now we have some plans to try to get that back on track, but... Um, I want to keep making episodes to support you and your creative practice, regardless of the state of podcasting. So would you consider supporting the show in one way or another? There are two different options. Number one is Patreon and number two is our newly launched Substack. If you support on either platform, you'll get access to something new that we're doing in 2024 that I am super excited about and it is our live virtual creative pep rallies. Our aim is to host a group Zoom every last Monday of the month in 2024. And these calls that we've done in the past with patrons are super special. And I, they're, they've been so awesome and the demand has been high. So we have decided to try to make them a monthly thing where we share wins and discuss the places where we're stuck and also do kind of Q&As around recent episodes. I've always wanted to have like more input and community and discussion and kind of hear your side when making this show. And this seems kind of like the best way to do that. In my own creative practice, nothing has helped me more than getting alongside people that are actually doing this thing. And these calls with these artists and creators and writers and filmmakers from every stage in the creative journey have been really great for that, uh, for me personally. On Substack, I will also be sharing behind the scenes stuff. So if you're a longtime listener of the show or you're in an advanced kind of stage in your practice, this might be extra useful to you because unlike on the podcast where I'm mostly talking about things that I've done and tested in the past, these posts will give you a window into the creative work and strategies and next steps that I'm exploring in real time. So we'll also be able to have space to have conversations about it 
right as it's happening or before I even create anything. Um, and it gives you a window into how I'm thinking and what I'm doing right in this moment. So this also might be interesting to you if you're just nosy about <laughs> the stuff that I do or you wanna be the first to hear about stuff um, and get it early before others. Here's a quick snippet of the audio version of our first paid post. It's called Writing on Stage, Four Secret Projects I'm Currently Working On. Here it goes. Much of the details on the podcast and that's been really frustrating because the podcast is one of the places where I work out new material. So I have a handful of things that have been in the works for different amounts of time, and they are all at various stages. The first one is a project I'm calling. All right, that's it. I can't even tell you what that project is called, actually. Uh, I'm kidding. You can go to andyjpizza.substack.com and that post has a preview and you can check out a little bit of it, including what that first project is. And you can sign up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Either way, hope to see you at our live Zoom at the end of the month. We are gonna start this monthly check-in practice that hopefully gives you some momentum and some accountability and even potentially a little bit of creative community all of 2024. That's it. Thanks everybody for those who have already uh, supported the show over the years. You are making this possible. Stay pepped, y'all.